For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you after the Revolution were eliminated from the playoffs over the weekend, despite coming away with a 2 to nothing victory at home against Orlando City, uh, who we should mention is the worst team in the Eastern Conference this year and was riding a 12-game road losing streak. Uh, but the Revolution did take full advantage, putting in a good performance. Pena scored in the 51st minute off of kind of a broken corner kick that, that fell to him and had a nice shot that got a bit of a deflection and snuck in in the lower corner. And then Diego Fagundes had a nice volley um, off of a Pena assist in the 55th minute. And really, the Revs could have scored more goals than that. Um, it wasn't all perfect. There was a, a corner kick early on in which, again, the Revs got bet, beaten to a set piece. But uh, Caicedo, I believe, was the guy there to, to clear it off the line and, and save them there. Uh, but overall, a good performance by the Revolution. They actually at halftime had 65% of the possession and we're really dominating all stats finish this one with a 21 to 8 uh total on shots on goal um but you know as, as we should say the the revolution were eliminated before this game even happened based on dc united's win earlier in the day so there wasn't much to play for here um other than pride and other than you know some guys showing what they could do which leads me to being a bit disappointed that we kind of saw the same lineup trotted out here that we've been seeing all season with you know one or two changes um, so I, I don't know. There, there, there wasn't too much to be learned from this game that you didn't already know. So I don't think we're going to spend too much time on it, but, um, I know there's a few guys you want to talk about. So with that, I'll, I'll turn over to Greg Johnstone, who's joining me today and, and get your takeaways from this one. Yeah. And my, my main takeaway is that, you know, this is probably the last time we're going to see our A team, uh, on the field this season. And it was a really solid, complete game all the way around against really Orlando's B team. Almost they were missing some, uh, key contributors, but, um, you know, considering the situation, a home game against Orlando, uh, I think they kind of came through and gave the type of performance you'd want to have all the way around. Um, I thought Christian Pena had a great performance. We kind of haven't seen a really, um, top to start to finish great, uh, performance from him in a while. And he, he, he was a game changer yesterday. I thought Fagundes had a really strong game, uh, being put back in there, uh, as the 10, um, I thought I think everyone uh, in the lineup, uh, kind of top to bottom, even Brandon By was making some con- con- contributions up top. Uh, Kellen Rowe, uh, I think he had three shots on, on target. Uh, he he made his impact felt. Um, Brad Knight had a nice save in there. Um, Caicedo had a nice ball cleared off of the line on that corner kick in the first half, uh, uh, which really could have put the put the Revolution down one nothing pretty early. Uh, so I thought all the way around it was a really really nice. Uh, kind of team effort and um, really the only person that I can really kind of get on, get on their case was uh, Teal Bunbury. Um, I thought he had a couple of chances that he could have done a little bit better on uh, the first couple of minutes. He, he couldn't dance around the keeper on a breakaway, um, which was a nice job by the keeper there, uh, Grinwis. But um, 
you know, you kind of expect a little bit better from from Teal Bunbury on that one. Uh, he had another shot that was blocked, that was hit off the post, that was his best scoring chance of the day, and it was almost pure luck there. So, um, you know, for a game that the Revolution came out and dominated, uh, beginning to end, out shooting their opponents, I think it was twenty-one to eight, sixty uh, percent possession, um, really, really just one-sided uh, start to finish. Uh, your starting striker really was invisible in that game and, and didn't really contribute a whole lot. So, um, But for everyone else, I, I thought it was a A-plus performance. And uh, I know you said, Sean, that uh, you kind of want to see some rotation in the lineup. I did too. But uh, considering this is the last time we're going to see this starting lineup probably this season, uh, I, I think it was a good note to go out on. Yeah, and you mentioned Bunbury and that shot that off the post, which also took a fortunate deflection because I'm not sure that was a, a great shot in the first effort. Um, but yeah, if, if you look you know, up to top to bottom on the starting lineup, I agree with you that Bunbury was really the only guy that, that disappointed um, in this one. And I think you mentioned a couple weeks ago that you know his performances have really tailed off. Um, and we you know looked at it, how few goals he'd scored since the All-Star break um, or even earlier than that. Uh, and, you know, we talked about it in the past years how his finishing often lets him down. You saw it on that breakaway, um, and we've seen it at times throughout the season. He got off to a really hot start this year that kind of made people forget that. But, you know, he, he's not the most clinical finisher on the team. I mean, even even Brad Friedel said that's probably Brian Wright. Um, but we've been seeing that more and more. And, and, and you mentioned a couple weeks ago that you'd, you know maybe want to see Brian Wright or, or somebody else other than Teal Bunbury. Um, after this game especially, I, I certainly agree with that. Um, for as good as he was to start the season, he's really fallen off the map. And, you know, Pania now with the, with the goal on this one has more goals than Bunbury on the year. 12 goals, fantastic output from him. Um, he actually should have had another goal and King set him up really well um, for, for a chance late in the game. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was a great overall great performance. There was that one corner kick that Caicedo saved them on that they got beaten on another header. Um, there are, you know, a couple of chances that Orlando created, but really – a really poor Orlando team, which can't be understated, but the Revolution did what they had to do, which they haven't been doing in recent weeks, and, and came away with, with the crucial, well, not crucial anymore, but three points um, and, and a good performance by, by the team overall. Uh, but it was one of those games where the pressure was really off for the team, and there's you know a lot of reasons um, why maybe they performed better in this one that we didn't see recently. Uh, but... You know, a lot of the same guys we've seen all year, and you know, not not much that I learned from this one. Um, I thought Andy Baba had a you know better passing night than he usually has. He led the defense with eighty eight point four percent passing. Um, Zihibo, there were again a few moments where I didn't think he tracked back well enough, uh, but he had a good passing night, ninety point three percent. A lot of touches, seventy five. He actually had the most touches of anyone in the midfield, uh, but. You know, like you said, lots of good performances. Bunbury maybe the the one bad one. Um, but I did want to talk about the the two guys that we haven't seen a lot of in this in this season, and that's Hache, who you know we made our comments clear on a couple weeks ago that we hadn't been really impressed with him, and uh, Anking, who we haven't seen much of due to due to this the illness that he had. And again, Anking's only eighteen. He got ten minutes in this game. Um, only had five touches, but he did have that one key pass that set up uh, Pania on you know what was a defensive breakdown by Orlando, but well taken care of by the Revolution. Um, and very unselfish play by Anking to, to play it wide to Pania um, for what he probably should have finished, but was a very good save by Orlando City. Um, it's hard to, to draw too many conclusions from you know ten minutes of play, and I don't and again five touches, but uh, he was four for four in his passes, and I, I thought he looked good in limited minutes, and I hope he's healthy enough to play more next week because he's a guy that I really want to see more of. Did, what were your thoughts on Anking again? You know, not too much you can take away, but it, it seems like he's a guy that's earned more minutes if he's healthy, right? Yeah, and, and I, I don't want to repeat everything that you just said, but I, I think that was a fair um, 
summary of, of his night. Uh, you know, obviously he came in, yeah, 10 minutes left to go in the game. He, he's not going to do a whole lot. I think if you look at his touches, I think he had like 10 of them, if, if that. So, just, uh, you just know, five. <laughs> just five. Okay. Well, regardless, it's, uh, you know, he, he didn't have a whole lot, but you can tell he's very comfortable out there. And from the times we've seen him, you know, the New York City FC game stands out where, um, you know, for an 18 year old, he's very, very comfortable out there. Uh, he seems to be kind of, um, caught up with the first team, you know, with that that play with uh, Christian Pena, you know, he's on the same page with Christian Pena the whole time. Um, it's really exciting that he's only 18 because he's he's got a lot of room to grow. But um, you know, compared to some other guys that they have brought into this team, um, you know, that have, haven't really fit in correctly or, or fit in into the system uh, nicely. You know, Anking has shown he's a pretty um, I don't know how to say. He's a very reliable person off of the bench that's going to come in. Uh, he's going to connect with other players on the field. Uh, that was a really nice one-two with Christian Pena uh, that was in the uh, 84th minute there. So um, I, I think overall he's got a lot of promise. And uh, I, I'd imagine he's going to be coming off of the bench with 20, 25 minutes. I don't think they're going to start him. Uh, but I think he's going to be a person that they bring uh, off the bench with 20, 25 minutes left. And we're going to get uh, a good extended look at extended in quotes uh look at uh, towards the end of the season yeah i certainly hope that's the case and and let's talk about hajay briefly we, you know we again we made our thoughts known on him a couple weeks ago but um you know the one thing i will say for him in this game is there were a couple moments when he, he was running at goal and it was nice to see him you know try some things do some dribbling moves you know the end product wasn't there but uh when he's running at goal you can see there's some creativity um, but to me, he seems like a player that needs a lot of space to, to pull something off. And, you know, in, in MLS, you don't get that kind of space and you, you have to play a lot faster. Uh, the one thing that was really noticeable to me was every time he got his ball, with, got the ball with his back to goal, if there was any pressure on him, he turned it right over. Um, he, he's not a good, he's five foot 11, so not a short guy, but he's not good at holding up the ball against any pressure. Um, he, he really only looks comfortable when he's running at goal. And again, you know, he's still only been here, you know, a little over a month now, hasn't, Maybe fitness isn't fully there. Maybe you know he's not moving at full speed and gotten up to the speed of play of MLS yet. Uh, but again, there was nothing in this game that that showed me that he's going to be a, a starting caliber player for an MLS team anytime soon. Um, and you know, even with those couple of nice stepovers, the end product hasn't been there. The passing's been off. He you know again had a fifty-seven percent passing night. Um, a little bit harsh because he too only had thirteen touches. But uh, you know, after four games and. Again, with the excuse that he hasn't been here that long and hasn't had the chance to train with the team that long, um, I still haven't seen enough from him to, to show that he warrants to, to come back next year, particularly given that he takes up an international spot. Yeah, and, and you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I, I would be more willing to uh, give him a little bit more of uh, time going in next season, or maybe say this is someone who you can, um, you know, loan at the USL to uh, kind of get that fitness and get that game experience. Because I, I think right now he looks very raw. He he looks like someone who's twenty twenty one, and and he's he's still learning to. Um, adjust to the level of competition and he's 25. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the one thing that, that, that sticks for me, which is that this is a guy that should be in the prime of his career right now. Uh, and he's taking an international spot. So I, I don't think this is someone that the revolution have a lot of time on. Um, you know, we, we talk about Christian Machado who we've, uh, you know, we're not huge fans of, uh, but he doesn't take up an international slot. So if you, they bring him back next year, you know, it, it kind of makes sense from a depth perspective. Maybe this is someone that, you know, you send uh, to the USL and, and kind of get some minutes there and, and really only plug in when you need to plug him in. Uh, but Hauche does not seem to be, you know, a, a type of person who, um, 
he's just not a very threatening attacker. Uh, you're right. He loses the ball a lot. Um, he doesn't seem to fit in with the revolution. And if, if he was 21, 22, I'd say maybe give this kid some time. Uh, but he's 25, and I, I can't imagine the revolution are going to use an international spot on him. He's been with the team for four games, um, and he his longest performance was uh, the Toronto game where he lasted 59 minutes. Um, so, I mean, he's he's not even getting complete games. Maybe that's related to fitness, but uh, I, I think considering he's he only got 14 minutes last game, I, I think that's probably directly tied to his performance. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll see him a little bit more too, kind of like Anking. Maybe he's a 20, 25-minute guy. They're going to see if he can do anything off the bench. Um, but I, I can't imagine he's going to be on the roster in 2019 yeah and you mentioned his age 25 years old i think that's important to, to hit home on because he's seven years older than anking and to me anking looks a lot more polished again in limited minutes but it, you know i i have trouble finding a way that in these next two games unless hache does something amazing um that you can justify bringing him back and taking an international roster spot um you know i get why the revolution went out and signed the guy he was a free agent at a time when you know deep deep into the uh, into September at a time when there's often you know very limited options available and the roster freeze date was coming up. So I get why you take a risk on him. Um, he had a pedigree where he played for some good teams. He hadn't scored any goals and hadn't seen that many minutes. Um, but you know it was a risk, and I assume that they signed him to a contract that's certainly not guaranteed next year. And if that's the case, I, I can't see him coming back. Um, but I, I don't know. Was there anyone else you wanted to talk about in this game be- before we moved on to, to other areas of discussion? Yeah, I got I got two little notes too, which is that um, I, I don't think I mentioned Scott Caldwell at the beginning. I thought yesterday was a great uh, game for him. Uh, it it kind of you know playing a weaker opponent at home. I think that you know it, his uh, ability to uh, you know press up and kind of cause chaos uh, in the attacking third kind of uh, showed last night. And he had a really really nice pass to I think it was Diego Fagundes. Um, I think it was in the 74th minute or something like that. But he had a nice little uh, sliding pass to Diego Fagundes, which uh, could have led to a goal, but it was a, a nice save by Orlando City. Um, the other thing, too, that I, I wanted to notice was I thought it was very strange that Juan Agadello came off the bench in those final minutes. And I think that's kind of telling about Brian Wright and that Brian Wright, even though I, I can't imagine, I, I don't know why he wouldn't be uh, a candidate to, to get additional minutes down the stretch, but you know, they took off Teal Bunbury and they brought on a, a striker slash attacking midfielder. And I don't know, I, I kind of thought I would like to see Brian Wright in that spot, even though it is kind of towards the end of the game, you're not going to learn a lot. Um, I, I think someone reported that Juan Agadello's contract is done at the end of the year. And I think a lot of people expect him uh, to be gone with the revolution after this season. So uh, the fact that he kind of came on to close out that game instead of someone like Brian Wright, um, I, I thought was a very interesting decision. Oh, and I thought it was interesting in general that you know Friedel waited until the 75th minute to start bringing on subs when, like we talked about, this game was meaningless to them. Um, they'd already been eliminated from the playoffs, and you had guys like like Hache and Anking who, um, you know, got a very short run out that would have been nice to see more from. And you know, Brian Wright's another guy it would have been nice to you know get him on and see more from. And you know, maybe Segbers is a guy that it would have been nice to to see more from. Um, so do you get why Friedel in a game like this would wait until the 75th minute to start using his subs? Because really, uh, you know, even 15 minutes isn't enough time to make much of an impact. No, and 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 I, I kind of agree. Um, I, I I mean, the game was going well, so I guess I can't criticize him. Well, maybe he he. I think lineups were announced before DC won the game, so I I kind of am giving Brad Friedel the benefit of the doubt that maybe if that game started at one and this game started at eight or seven or eight uh, seven seven thirty or something like that, where you know they knew the result before lineups were announced, maybe you know we would have seen some rotation. Um, but yeah, I mean. 
if that's the case, then yeah, the substitution pattern would have been altered during the game. Um, I, I, I think maybe Bradfield just wanted three points, a strong three points, um, kind of just to make the record go better. I guess I, I'm, I'm not totally sure why we didn't see uh, some some younger players come in a little bit sooner because I would have liked to have seen 45 minutes of Anking, um, but. You know, I, I I think they just wanted the win yesterday. Yeah, and going back to what one of the things you said earlier, I did want to give a shout-out to Scott Caldwell as well because I thought he had a very good game as well, and he was all over the field, um, like you said. And, um, he actually was tied for the team lead with three key passes, so very involved in the offense um, from him. And, you know, we, we talked about this season how Friedel seems to think of him more as a guy that can be more of a two-way player and get involved in the offense than maybe we saw from, from Jay Heaps, and I think that's certainly shown. Um, I believe, as, as Brian O'Connell said on the show previously, that you know Caldwell was more of an attacking midfielder in college, and um, he's he, you know he's capable of getting things done when he's up there. So that that was good to see. Um, Fagundes, Pena, all those guys putting a really good showing. Uh, but with that, I guess do we, do we want to talk about what we want to see you know, going forward in the in the next two games? Now that they have two games left that that mean nothing. We talked a bit up, bit about it, but you know who are the guys that you really want to see get more minutes? Um, in these last two games, because other, other than that, there's there's not much to to watch going forward because the Rebs already eliminated from the playoffs. You know, I'd, I'd like to I'd like Brian Wright to get another start. Uh, I, I personally would like to see Brian Wright get starts the final two games. But as I said, I think Juan Agadella coming off of the bench might kind of show that's not going to happen. Um, I'd be OK giving Christian Machado another start somewhere. Um, I, I think against weaker opponents too. Maybe he can show off a little bit more. He's been with the team for a while. So uh, it's, it's been a month or two since his signing. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing him again. Um, Isaac Anking, as I say, I think I'd like to see him in a 25-minute role. Um, I don't know if I'd want to start him right away. He is only 18. So I, I mean, his, his spot on the team is pretty secure. So I mean, if we can just see him and get some more flashes of him uh, going into next season, I, I think I'd be satisfied with that. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I'd like to see Matt Turner back in goal. I think this is the third straight time I've been on the podcast requesting that. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I really kind of want to see no one else that I comes to mind really, I think is cracking the lineup. Like it would be nice to see Femi one more time, but I, I can't imagine he's going to come back next season. Um, so, I mean, maybe they could, you know, put him on the, in the 18 for the final game and sub him on just as kind of like a, um, I don't know, kind of a farewell type uh, performance, but I, I, there's no one else really that comes to mind that I think would is cracking the 18. So uh, I can't think of any other young players I'd want to start over um, the first team. Yeah, I generally have the same feelings as you. When you see guys that can't make the 18, I assume that their performance is so poor in practice that they probably don't even warrant another look in the uh, in the starting 11. Um, I want to see Mark Segbers get a run out. Um, which I think is one guy you, you might not have mentioned. Um, he, you know, he he seemed to have a pretty good showing in USL. I don't know how that translates to MLS, but you know, at 22 years old, it'd be good to to get him some minutes um, before the season's up. And King, uh, you know, another guy like you mentioned that needs to see more minutes. It seems like they're trying to you know, tread very carefully with him, given the you know the illness that they haven't really delved into or given us too much information about that kept him out for much of the season. Um, so I'd assume that we're not going to see him starting, like you said, but you know, maybe 25 minutes would, would be enough to, for him to show more. Um, I, I think I want to see more of Hache. I haven't, again, we haven't been impressed with him at all, but there's two games left of the season. You know, maybe he gets another start to give one last chance to, to prove what he can do. And, you know, on the same token, Machado, like you said, I think he gets another start at some point or should get another start at some point um, to, again, either prove that maybe he does have something to offer next year as a depth piece or, you know, that there really is no point in bringing him back. And, you know, you mentioned Juan Agudelo and how, you know, 
perhaps he's ahead of Brian Wright because he got into this game. Um, I, I agree with that, but it seems highly unlikely that Aguadel is back next year. As we've heard, his contract is up at the end of the season, um, but allegedly there's some interest in him overseas and maybe even in some teams in Spain. Um, so there, if there's an opportunity to, for him to go to Europe, I don't know where his you know, family situation is now. I know he wanted to come back for his family originally, but it, it's not working out for him here. He's not a regular starter. Um, he's not playing in his best position. Uh, so I, I have trouble seeing him back on this team next year. So with that in mind in particular, I, I would think that, you know, unless you're going to give Aguadelo some stars to try to convince him to come back, um, that Brian Wright would be the guy that, that gets some minutes. And I agree with you that Bunbury hasn't been good enough. So, you know, why not give Brian Wright a run out there and, and see what he can do? He had that one goal and, um, you know, played in the next game and then hasn't really played much since then. Uh, so yeah, Femi seems like he's out of the question, but Brian Wright is making 18 regularly. So he'd be a nice guy to, to see out there. Uh, but other than that, there's, there's not too much that I can get excited over from this roster going forward. I I would actually, I have one more thing too. I would like to see Brandon by start at right back the rest of the season. Cause he looks a lot more comfortable in right back than left back. That that's just kind of my observation, um, and I, I think that's kind of the position they're grooming him for long term. I don't know what that says about Andrew Farrell, um, but I, I'd be happy with seeing Brandon By start it right back the rest of the season, which I think is going to happen anyway. I'm not going to, yeah. you know. So, but um, I, I'm really keeping an eye on him and, and seeing um, how well he can perform because I, I think that's someone that. 2019 this might be your right back uh, going forward yeah i think i think by default with feral out that's probably going to happen your only other option would really be be segbers but um i think that's you know by a spot and i'd like to see segbers get in somewhere maybe as more of an attacking winger or maybe as a left back or something there but um that is that will be interesting to see um and and you know how do you feel about kellen Rowe continuing to play left back as the season winds down i mean who else would you put there <laughs> that, that, that is the question. You're, you're, I mean, it seems to me that the, the team has cut ties with Somi and Claude Yelna. Um, and I don't know what exactly has happened there. But, I mean, to my understanding, I've seen people on Twitter say that Claude Yelna isn't even with the team anymore, like traveling or anything like that. So who knows if he's, he's even, <laughs> you know what I mean, going to these games. Um, I mean, could Segbers play left back? I, I don't I don't even know who, who would be available to play left back. Yeah, I guess I'd like to see Segbers get a shot there, but... I know long term. I, mean, I, I think long term, we'd both agree that it's not going to be you know Kellen Rowe as the long term solution to left back, or at least at least from what Friedel was saying earlier in the year, right? Where he's no. no. very much against it. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone thinks. I don't think anyone wants Kellen Rowe at left back. I, I think it's just he's literally the last person there, um, especially now with Brandon By playing right back. I think he's the last. Um, person to slide in there um and i'd like to see kellen Rowe up in that kind of right attacking midfield role um or in the central midfield um but i don't think that's going to happen just because they they literally do not have anyone that can play that spot which is is insane to say but i mean if, if brandon by is on the right side i guess segbers is the only other person you could put there maybe i mean i i guess if you wanted to just throw out a lineup to see how it goes i mean maybe you could put de la may out there but i i don't think he could you know get up and contribute offensively i i don't think that would that's a natural fit you're really just putting him back there just you know as a body you know what i mean so um yeah i, I think kellen rose stuck there the rest of the season which is a shame because i think it's just it's a total waste to leave him there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if there if there was a time to try something like putting Andy Bob or De La May there, I would think that would be the road game at Salt Lake. Um, if you wanted to put out a more solid defensive lineup, that maybe you, you do that there, and then when you get your home game, you play more offensive with either Conroe or or you know we should note Segber is you know looking at his. 
um, his lineup positions in Orange County. Um, while he was there, he did get several games at left midfield or left wing. I don't know, you know, how well that translates to him playing left back, but he he, he did play. Um, it looks like about a third of his games perhaps came on the left side. So maybe maybe that wouldn't be too unnatural of a position to put him in. But uh, again, well, as a, as a rookie, it'd be interesting to see him get some minutes there, and you know, even to look forward to next year as he, if he can be a depth piece at that position. I mean, Kellen Rowe is pretty much kind of playing that, you know, he, he's going up and getting involved in the offense. He's kind of playing that wing back role. Um, and, you know, against Orlando at home, that's that's he, he's going to be able to get involved in the offense. But, um, you know, is, is that going to? Yeah, Segbers is going to we're going to be able to see how he can perform if this is someone who can, you know, <laughs> kind of fill in at right back or left back and be a depth piece in the future. Whereas Kellen Rowe, you know, his future is not a left back. So, yeah, I, I don't see. If Segbers can play on the left side, I don't see why not. Yeah, no, I I agree. It makes it makes perfect sense to try somebody else there because, like you said, there's there's literally no options, um, overly other than those two. And of course, somebody mentioned Machado can play when he first signed can play all of the pitch, but I don't think we'll be seeing him there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of want to see Machado there over Row though. It's I think it's yeah. more annoying than anything else. Uh, I, I think after a while, the Revolution just kind of see this as a way to get Kellen Rowe on the field for ninety minutes. I, I think they kind of it's kind of one of those things where they have a problem, which is that, you know, they can't figure out where to fit Kellen Rowe in the midfield and they can't find a left back. And so I think they're just <laughs> they're killing two birds with one stone with this very imperfect solution of just shoving Kellen Rowe at the left back position. I mean, I, I actually feel like at this point they should be putting Kellen Rowe in the midfield and doing anything they can to increase his trade value so they can trade him in the offseason. Yeah, that's another conversation, <laughs> too, where, you know, if he's not coming back, which I, I would imagine he is, I mean, it. I, I'm not sure what they're doing with Kellen Rowe at this point, but they, you know, and, and over the span of the last 12 months, you know, his trade value has significantly decreased where he's, you know, essentially a backup central midfielder and a backup left back. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not sure what the plan going forward with Kellen Rowe is, but shoving him at left back does no one any favors. <laughs> Yeah, there's an opportunity to showcase him in these last two games. We've talked about it before, too, about how he's a free agent after 2019 and, um, you know, his ties to Seattle and how he could just go there after next season. Um, and because of that, why it would make sense for them to trade him in the offseason. But, you know, if you're doing that or if you're trying to keep him, either way, it would make sense to, to give him more minutes at midfield to either convince him that, you know, we should resign, that you should resign here because we're going to play you at your best position or to say, look at this guy, <laughs> let's let's trade him. Because, again, I think we we know what we're getting out of Diego Fagundes. He's had you know plenty of opportunities at the number 10 spot and you know, we know what we're getting out of Pania. I don't think we want to see him bench because he's you know one of the few guys that's exciting out there to watch. Um, you know, you're getting out of Caldwell, Zahibo, Caicedo, all of these guys have had enough minutes to, to know what you're getting out of them. Rose never really proven himself um, over a consistent period as a central midfielder under Brad Friedel's system. He hasn't looked that great um, in that role with a you know, couple of exceptions. So, you know, here's your opportunity to do that. I think you could learn a lot more out of playing him there than you can out of playing him at left back. Um, but I, I don't know if you had anything else to add or if we should jump to Twitter questions. Um, well, uh, I, I just want to note, too, that it's pretty interesting that Segbers and Bai, if I remember correctly, those were the back-to-back first-round picks last season. It's kind of interesting how much more playing time Bai has gotten. Um, and I think that speaks more to um, you know, how much faith they have in Brandon Bai than Mark Segbers. I, I'm just going to toss that out there kind of as a final thought that um, you know, it would be nice to see Segbers get some minutes and, and uh, see what value we can get out of him. But um, I think the fact that Brandon Bai has been cycling in and out of this lineup uh, this past season is uh i don't know high praise i'll say so you ready for twitter questions john yeah let's jump to those 
All right, we got a couple. <clears throat> so Zach Grimes, we'll we'll start out here because this uh, <laughs> this ties to uh, the game. Um, did the Revs benefit from uh, not having to get a result uh, for playoff contention? Uh, did the uh, I guess pressure of not having to play for a playoff spot help the Revs play better, or is Orlando Orlando just terrible? I think it's both. I think Orlando is completely terrible. Like I said, they've lost twelve straight road games, now thirteen. I think they've they tied the record. Um, for the most road losses in a season this year, uh, they've been an absolutely horrible team. Um, you know, I, I, with Jason Christ as their head coach at the beginning of the year, I thought they were capable of, of doing something. I've you know been a fan of his coaching in the past, but you know he he couldn't turn them around at all. Uh, he did a poor job. They've conceded seventy goals this season, a negative thirty goal differential. Um, it's hard to be much worse than Orlando's been this year. They've given up by far the most goals in the league. Oh, actually, I, should, I shouldn't say that. San Jose has actually, has actually given up 69, so they're not by far the most, but but the most. Um, they've just been a, a terrible team. Um, so a lot of this is Orlando is absolutely horrible. Um, they've had 16 row games. They've lost 14 of them. Uh, and as I said, there were 13 losses in a row now for, for them on the road. Um, but at the same time, yes, I do think the pressure coming off the revolution helped a bit. Um, we've talked a lot about you know, how the revolution, that Los Angeles game that they uh, blew, that they were you know winning and, and lost three to two in that game, how that really dented their confidence. And they never looked the same since then. Um, I think finally having the burden of, of competing for a playoff spot, you know, out of their minds. And even if DC hadn't won that game, I, I think that was pretty much out of their minds at this point anyways, they, they were not making the playoffs. Um, so I do think that helped them play with a bit more freedom and a bit more relaxed. And I think that that showed in their play. But um, you know, you can't say it enough how bad Orlando is. And, and because of that, it, again, it's hard to take too much away from the rest performance. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to repeat too much of what you just said, but I'm just going to read Orlando's record, uh, seven, 20 and four, uh, 40 goals for 70 goals against a negative 30 goal differential. Their road record is two 14 and zero. Um, they are a bad team. They've been a bad team all season, and they're rotating in players. They're seeing um, what young guys uh, will, will make the team next year. And actually, I, I, I'm going to get to my shout-out right now where um, yesterday's goalkeeper, Adam Grinwis, uh, he had a pretty really, really solid game, former Rochester Rhino. Um, if you actually look up his like Wikipedia page or, or his kind of career summary, he's worked his way up from the PDL. Uh, and he's had two starts in the MLS and he's doing quite well. I think he's kind of earning uh, a backup MLS job for next season. So it's, it's kind of a nice, nice story of seeing someone who, you know, started out in the PDL five years ago and has worked his way up to the USL is now in the MLS. But with that being said, those are the types of players that the revolution are playing against in this game. Um, these are not MLS all-stars. This is not a, remotely close to an MLS playoff team. So, Playing these guys at home, if they were still in playoff contention, if DC United lost yesterday and the Revs still had a shot and they were still giving it their all, I still imagine that this is a 2 nothing game. Um, maybe more. Maybe they're pressing a little bit more, although you know, the Revolution were pressing the whole game. I, I don't think them being knocked out of playoff contention affected a whole lot. So, I, I just want to add one thing there because you, you mentioned their record. We need to drive home exactly what happened with Orlando this year because you talk about the Revs collapse. Orlando started this season with six wins, two losses, and a draw. So their their first nine games of the year, they were one of the best teams in the league record-wise. So when you talk about the fact that they finished the year, right now they have seven wins. Six of those wins came in the first nine weeks. So if you want to talk about how bad of a drop-off they've had, it's quite incredible how absolutely horrendous they've been when they actually got off for a pretty good start. Yeah, that's one win in 22 games if I'm doing my math in my head correctly, which I'm not probably. It's probably wrong. But yeah, I, I mean, they, they were somewhat in the 
around the playoff line, I, I think. And then I think they lost 12 straight or something like that. I mean, they, they have had a brutal, brutal season. And yeah, James O'Connor came in uh, and, and he has not had any better results. I imagine that he's been given uh, a lot of leash to kind of play the kids and, and to really start this rebuild from the ground up because they have fallen off the map very, very quickly um, considering – what, what last year when they trade for Dom Dwyer and they spent a lot of money to come bring in Dom Dwyer um, and, and they seem to be a team that wanted to contend in 2018 and they have just completely fallen off the map. They are arguably the worst team uh, in MLS, although San Jose, I think, is pretty uh, – San Jose is pretty bad. They're both pretty bad. I mean, since – I would say easily they're the worst team in MLS since those first nine games. Overall, yes. yeah, overall San Jose has – uh, been worse, but the the complete horrendousness of their performance since those first nine games uh, is something to behold. <laughs> yeah, they're both terrible, terrible teams. And if I remember correctly, they're both teams that the Revolution drew on the road. If I remember correctly, um, so it kind of speaks to the Revolution season a little bit. Hey, but, but hey, it could be worse. Could be worse. Yeah, we could be those teams. Um, Joe asks us, uh, and this, this is a, this, this might be the most harsh Twitter question so far. I got a laugh out of this one. Uh, for as dumb as he appears, Mike Burns is actually pretty smart. He'll fire Brad Friedel next July to save his own job once again. Agree or disagree? Do you want to take this one first, Sean, or should I take this one? So I've actually had this discussion with a few people regarding Brad Friedel's job and how safe it is. Um, and whether if they start next year as poorly as they finish this year, um, if he makes it past July. And the reactions I've gotten from from various people have been mixed. Most people think he's got a full next season no matter what. You know, uh, you know again, I don't want to hit home on something I've talked about a lot previously is, is that you look at the trajectory of this team. They started off well and then they've just consistently regressed as the season went on, you know, Saturday night, excluding from that, but they've consistently regressed this season um, and gotten worse as the year has gone on, which is not a great sign because, you know, nobody expected Friedel to, to make miracles this first year. Um, he came in and got off to a really good start. I think he got off to a better start than anyone expected. Um, I, I think all of us thought they'd be, you know, right about where they are, maybe not making the playoffs, but getting close to it. Um, but the the disappointing thing and is is that they've kind of fallen off as the season's gone gone on and gotten worse. So to me, if they start next year, um, you know, and maybe go through the first fifteen games playing like they've played the end of this season, uh, I think there is a good chance that that Brad Friedel gets fired and that the the blame falls on him. Um, and you know that, that would be Mike Burns' move. And you know, and on that note, I do want to talk before, once you finish Twitter questions with the the Brad Friedel quote from after this last game because I think that was one of the the most interesting things to come out of this week. But you know, yeah, my thoughts are that that is a scenario that could happen. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm not totally sure. I, I, I had a conversation with um, Ryan a few months ago. Uh, I think it was off the podcast, but we were talking about how the worst thing that could have happened for Brad Friedel is that they got off to this hot start because then people had all these expectations coming into the season. And really, I, I don't think this team was ever really built to make the playoffs and, and, and make a, a, a deep run. So um, I, I, I think I agree with the people you're having the conversation with. I'm probably one of those people you're having the conversation with that Brad Friedel has all of next season. Um, so I, I – I kind of disagree with Joe's assessment that um, you know Brad Friedel is is on the hot seat or he's going to get fired next season. I think he has another full season altogether. Um, but but when it comes to Mike Burns too, um, I, I think if Brad Friedel is fired, I think Mike Burns is going with him. I think they're kind of tied together at this point. Um, and I, I think if we're going to kind of go through another rebuild and another um, you know front office change or another change in management, um, I think the the, the front office is tied to field management at this point um, where 
you know, if we're going to have to start another cycle, I, I think we're just going to clean house altogether. Um, I, I think this is kind of the low point of the rebuild, though. So I, I think both Burns and Friedel are getting another season. But at this point, I think when one goes, I think the other one is going. Maybe Burns leaves, but not Brad Friedel. Maybe Friedel has a little bit more leash. But at this point, I, I think they're kind of tied at the hip. That's my assessment. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. But I, I have trouble seeing Mike Burns being gone anytime soon because they've put so much faith in him over the years. And, you know, they've now missed the playoffs six of the last nine seasons. And, you know, the common thread there in player acquisition is Mike Burns, and that hasn't been yep. good enough. But, um, you know, nothing's nothing's cost him yet. So we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know what it would take to get him to, to be gone. It's hard to tell people to be patient, but this this is – you know, in a rebuilding year, there's, you know, I, I think this offseason we're going to learn a lot. And I think we'll be in a much better position to criticize. Um, it sounds like they already are scouting for next year, considering Brad Friedel's comments after the game about bringing in new players. Yeah, let's, let's, talk, players. let's talk about that quickly you before wanna... we jump on another question, since we're kind of landed on that point anyways. Let me just pull that up quickly so okay. I have it. But uh, to finish my point, I, I think we need another full offseason uh, moves uh, to, to kind of uh, grade how well, you know, this rebuilding cycle is going. Because, I mean, maybe they do bring in and we'll get into to the next couple of Twitter questions uh, involve, um, you know, who, who do we kind of want to see come in? Maybe they do bring in um, a, another star player to go along with Fagundes and Pena. Maybe they do bring in another game changer who can elevate this team into the playoffs. I, I think we talked at the very beginning of the season. Atlanta, the New York Red Bulls, New York FC, and then and then at the beginning of the season we thought Toronto FC was going to uh, be a, a top of the league type team. So I mean, right there were four playoff teams that the Revolution were not going to hold a candle to. So I, I don't think the Revolution were ever built to be a playoff team in the first place. Um, I know it's kind of easy to criticize them for the second half of the season they've had, but I think the first half gave some unrealistic expectations. So, Sean, do you have that quote up yet? Yeah, I pulled it up. So, Friedel, after the game last night, first he talked about how this is you know really a tryout for the guys that are still here. Um, he, this is not the the key part of the quote, but interesting nonetheless. He said, quote, the players that are, that are with us are going to have to be very good mentally and physically tough. The ones that aren't, I wish them well when they're not with us. End quote of the first quote. Um, interesting kind of putting the, putting the pressure on the players as he has been a lot in recent weeks and, and you know, laying it out there. Um, but the, the real interesting quote and uh, starts here is there will be quite a few changes in the offseason, a lot of exciting changes. You're going to see some things, a lot of news that comes out of New England over the next couple of months that people will start to sit back and realize. Um, and then further on, he says, the ones that we do bring in are going to be exciting players. Hopefully we have some great things to come for the club, end quote. Uh, so, so what do you make of that one coming after this uh, this win and after the Rebs getting eliminated from the playoffs? Well, I, I think one thing that Brad Friel knows is to never overpromise. And, and in the past, he said, you know, we're going to bring in two or three more guys, and we get Christian Machado or Hoche or so. You know, we we get some guys that um, you know aren't necessarily game changers. And here's Brad Friel flat out saying, we're going to get some exciting players. We're going to bring in um, some make a big splash basically. So, I mean, that's on them at this point, you know what I mean? I, I, I think you can't over promise in a situation like that. So I, I think revs one way or another are going to bring in another DP level signing uh, and they're going to try to be competitive next year. I, I, that's the only way I can read it. Is that going to happen? Maybe not. Um, you know, I, I, I think you're kind of disappointed with the summer transfer window, but um, you know, they're in a position to spend. And uh, if, if they don't spend, I, I think there's going to be a lot of angry fans. I, I think this off season is the most important off season 
I, in recent history, I, I think so. I don't know, Sean. You can probably speak better to that. But but the, if they do not come out of this offseason transfer window without a big signing, uh, I mean, uh, I'd, I'd be speechless at that point. They'd pretty much be saying they're not trying to compete in 2019, which is crazy to me. Well, you mentioned how key this offseason is, and I think um, the Revolution have never gone four seasons in a row. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, without making the playoffs, and that's what it would be next year if they didn't make the playoffs. Um, so yeah, this is an absolute huge offseason for this team. And these are the type of quotes that if you're a fan or if you're the media, you, you save and you wait till next season and you wait till the offseason's over and you see if they fulfilled it. Um, because, you know, this is Friedel saying a lot. And you, like you said, he, he's careful generally not to overpromise things. Um, you know, I think there's a few quotes that have come back to haunt him this season, such as such as when he said that, you know, good teams don't lose two games in a row because the revolution certainly have done that since he said that quote. Um, but, you know, th- this is one of those things where uh, the revolution are going to have a ton of cap space in the offseason. We've gone over that before, how many big salaries that we expect them to shed um, and how many big salaries they already shed during the season. Um, so there's no question they have an ability to spend a lot of money in the offseason with both salary space, with both allocation money they've acquired. And there's no excuse not to. Um, um, he's saying that they are going to make a lot of changes. We know that they need to make a lot of changes. Um, this isn't shouldn't be shocking. This is what they should be doing. I think what what is shocking to people is that you know they've been very disappointed in the lack of changes um, the past several years and the lack of big changes. And now Friedel seems to be promising that. Um, you know, based on their recent history, it's hard to to get too excited. But um, it is a good quote from Friedel, and it's it's great to see that he thinks that they're going to do that in the off season. And you know, and then if they don't, and it comes you know March or April and very little has changed or it's just been, you know, guys of the, the ilk of Machado or, or Hache that have come in. Um, you know, maybe you, you bring this quote back up and ask them what happened. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and, and, and while we're talking about this, we got a couple of questions about who the revs should bring in, um, which I, I think we'll have a little bit of difficulty because who, who knows where the revolution are going to go with this one. But uh, any revs UK asks us, uh, he says, we, we, even though we scored two and took the win, we still missed too many opportunities. Agree with that. Uh, and uh, in a different game, it could have cost us. Um, realistically, who do the Revs need at the nine spot next season? And he actually lists a couple of names that are pretty interesting names. I think they're all, um, I don't want to say unrealistic for the Revs, but probably not going to happen. Uh, Andy Carroll, Javier Hernandez, Charlie Austin, uh, Shane Long. Um, and then uh, Tyler also asks us, I'm going to pair these together. Uh, who would be the dream signing for the offseason? Uh, Tyler has an answer, but he's curious to hear our thoughts. Um, so, Kind of asking who the revolution need, what would be our dream signing. Um, I don't really think big in these situations just because I guess I know the revs are kind of limited on resources and they're not the LA Galaxy or NYCFC. We're, I don't think we're going to convince someone to jump the, the Bundesliga to come play at Gillette Stadium. Um, but I, I think all those names would be great gets for the revolution. Um, I think they'd all be very, very strong players that could really help up the offense uh, all the way around. Um, Sean, do you, do you have any thoughts on who the revolution could bring in? Yeah. I mean, I think we'd both agree that they desperately need a striker as, as any revs UK pointed out um, prior to this game. Uh, and I haven't looked at the stats since, but before this game, the revolution were, were last in the Eastern conference since July 1st with just 15 goals. Um, we, you know, t- we talked a lot about how poor their defense was this year, uh, but you know, especially in the second half of the season, their offense has been equally poor, if not more poor than, than their back line. Um, so that's really the area that 
you know, as you go into the offseason, you need to address and you need to spend a lot of money on, and, which is not to say that they don't have several other areas they also need to address. But that, that, that would be my focus is finding a proven goal scorer. Um, I think Bunbury is a good complimentary guy. I think he's a good guy to keep around. I don't think he's the answer. Um, like I said, going into the season, he's not a guy that generally gets you 10 goals in a season. He, he got you that this year, but he didn't get you a lot more than that. And he's not going to get you a lot more than that. Um, so I look at the list that, that any revs UK provided. Um, Andy Carroll, you know, fit Andy Carroll is, is, is there a fit Andy Carroll? I'm not sure there is, <laughs> but at, at 29 years old with the injury history he's had, um, he's not a guy that I'd want to bring in on turf. Javier Hernandez, I think he's a guy that would be a fantastic signing for MLS season for an MLS team. Um, he's 30 years old. He's, you know, played some of the top leagues in the world. He's, uh, having a down year. I think there's a potential that he could go to MLS and, and make a lot of money. Uh, I don't think the revolution are going to spend what he would require to come to MLS. And I also think there are, are better markets um, for a guy like Javier Hernandez. I, you know, there's certainly other markets in MLS where um, you could bring out a lot more Mexican fans if, if Javier Hernandez joined than, than the Revolution. And because of that, he'd be more valuable to them. Um, so while I think that'd be a great signing for the Revs, I don't think that would happen. You know, a lot of these guys, Charlie Austin, Danny Ings, I don't know how realistic that is at their, this age, even though they're having down years. And again, the Revolution would have to offer a lot to get him here. And I'm not sure those are the type of players I want to see here. Shane Long, um, another forward that, you know, hasn't scored as many goals as you'd like to see out of a striker. Um, he's, I think he's 31 and has the Irish connection to, to Boston. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think there's anyone right now, you know, since Robbie Keane, that would really be much of a draw as, a, as an Irish uh, international in Boston, but you know, if you want to go on that connection, that maybe that's an option. Um, but really, and we were talking about this before the show. I, you know, I, I would love to see the Revolution make a real splash and go out and do something like Atlanta did, and find a guy like Joseph Martinez, who's you know young and just entering the prime of his career, who maybe doesn't have the the best pedigree in the world, but has you know played in some top leagues and is is ready to come over here if you can give him an opportunity to play and an opportunity to, to spend the right amount of money. Um, unfortunately, I don't know who that guy is. I wish I had the, the time to you know, to scout the top leagues and, and find those diamonds in the roughs. But, you know, somebody from Central or South America um, that has a proven track record of scoring goals, not a Guillermo Hache who's, you know, 25 years old and never scored a professional goal, uh, but somebody in that area who's a bit younger um, and has, you know, promise. Uh, and, and maybe you bring in a couple of those guys and hope one of them works out. But, you know, if you can splash the cast on a, on a younger DP, that would be my ideal signing for the revolution. I, I wish I could give you names, but um, if, if I had more time to, to watch all those leagues, I would. But at, at this point, unfortunately, I do not. But, you know, if they want to hire me to be a scout, I'd be very happy to do so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard for me to say a dream signing because I, I I would like to dream big and think who is our Wayne Rooney or who is our Zlatan. But I, I can't even get myself to think that way just because I, I don't think New England has an appeal to – European superstars. Um, so I, 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 I kind of think realistically of who the revolution can get. But there, there's uh, also there's also such a limited number of those type of European superstars that have the attraction of a, of a Ibrahimovic or even a Rooney out correct. there too. So that, I mean that's your other limiting factor. Like the guys listed by you know any revs UK like Andy Carroll, Charlie Austin, Danny Ng, Shane Long. You know they're decent players, but they're they're nothing of the level of, of Wayne Rooney or, or Ibrahimovic, both in playing or in you know or in pedigree or reputation or ability to draw guys to the fans. And and, and Harry Hernandez might be if you were in you know Texas or California, but he's not here. Well, and the other thing too that I think the Revolution are doing is they're going after young players. I mean, you you can criticize Machado is twenty eight and Hache is is twenty five, uh, but 
you know, Caicedo is 21 and, you know, Fagundes is 23. Pania is, is the old guy of the, this core. He's 27. I know Mancian is 30, but I, I think they're targeting younger players. They're trying to build a team like the way Atlanta is doing it. Um, so, and that's not to say they won't sign veterans, but I think if they're going to go after a DP, I think it's going to be a, um, you know, probably a South American or a young American player. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to throw out some names just randomly, but like someone like Bobby Wood, like I, I think that's they're They're more likely to sign someone like Bobby Wood than they are to go after a uh, Javier Hernandez. Um, I also think too, that, you know, looking they look at someone like Liga MX. Um, I know Seattle signed someone like Raul Diaz. Um, I think that would be, you know, t- a type of signing the revolution would kind of like to make. Um, I-, I was kind of going through kind of p- players that played in the world cup. Um, if they're looking kind of on the older side, I know Paulo Guerrero uh, of Peru, uh, he's playing in the Brazilian league currently he's 34. So he's up there. So it'd probably be a one year type of deal, but um, you know, he has experience in the Bundesliga. Uh, maybe he can, can bring something to the revolution. Um, and then I, I was kind of thinking about some names in MLS that they could bring in. Um, and I know uh, Houston's got a forward, uh, Mauro Mentones, who's fourth in the MLS in goals. Uh, he's done nothing but score goals since he came to the league. 16 this year, 10 last year, uh, six in his debut season. Uh, it wasn't his debut season, but really his, his first year, he was getting significant minutes. So he's had um, 32 goals uh, in his first three seasons. He's 23 years old. He's a Colombian. Um, you know, he'd obviously take up that international spot and a DP spot, uh, but he's a goal scorer that could come in and make a, a, an impact right away. So do you know, do the revs go to Houston with a offer that they cannot refuse? Maybe they do. Um, and then one other, one other one too, that I think is actually kind of a realistic signing that uh, I actually haven't heard this name yet, but I'm going to throw it out there because I don't think he ever should have left New England, but uh, I would love to see Patrick Mullins come back. Um, I, I was really upset that he left, uh, in the, uh, expansion draft. Um, he's kind of bounced around between, uh, New York city FC, DC United. He's with Columbus crew right now. Um, he's had some okay results. Uh, he's got 20 goals over the last four seasons, uh, between those three teams. So, you know, he, he isn't an amazing forward overall, but, um, you know, if they don't end up bringing in a, uh, you know, DP striker and it's kind of underwhelming, uh, I'd be for Pat, you know, trading, uh, for Patrick Mullins who went to Columbus for 150,000 in allocation money. I think he'd be an upgrade over what they have right now, uh, in at that nine spot. So, um, those are kind of some names that come to mind. Um, I, again, I'm not trying to dream too big, but th- those are kind of some thoughts of, you know, realistically, who can the revolution go after? I, I think those are some guys that are worth looking into. Yeah, and if you mentioned Patrick Mullins, who you know has been a good player in this league, but you know he strikes me as an upgrade on your bench, which is something that they absolutely need. They need a you know a guy that can do something different on the bench. Um, but if you go into next season and that's your signing at striker, um, you're not making the playoffs again next year. So, so I, would you I, rather I, him over? Would you rather him over Teal Bunbury? I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Because I, I think he's an upgrade over Teal Bunbury. You know. I, I, it depends on the day. I guess it depends on the day and the opponent. He's a different player than Tail Bunbury. I don't think he's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you if you ask me which player is better, um, I'd have trouble saying that. But I I think they're very different players, and I think there's some games and some formations in which Bunbury makes more sense, and there's others in which Mullins makes more sense. So if you have a you know plateau situation where you're rotating between the two of them, um, that's better than where you are now. But I think they need a lot better than that. And the one other point that I wanted to make, just again going back to to any Revs UK's list, which is a lot of guys that are you know on the older side in Europe, um, but not past their prime, but on the on the older side, but not the biggest names. 
you, you know, you, you you mentioned the list of the top goal scorers in the league right now, and really nobody fits the category of of those guys that Anywhere's UK has listed there. Like those aren't the types of guys that come to MLS and, and you know do particularly well. There's guys like you know uh, David Villa, obviously, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Wayne Rooney, who are generational type players. Um, but you're you know you're mediocre. Um, maybe below average striker in the Premier League that's you know, struggling has has never really been the type of guy that to come here and excel. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips was a you know weird anomaly, but generally those aren't the guys that come here and, and take over and change the league. Um, is Boyan done? What is that? Did he sign a new contract with Sunderland? Like how? What? Where did we end off on that? Is he still in the mix to? Because he'd be another uh, guy to come over from Europe, but uh, all, all of the rumors kind of ended on him. I mean, he's, I haven't heard he's, that rumor he's back, a lot. I think he's back in their starting lineup and and playing uh, quite frequently for them. So I, I don't I don't think there's any hurry for him to move over here. And he's he's getting minutes again and, and starting. So I don't know. I mean, there certainly seemed to be a lot of smoke. You know, when there's smoke, there's fire, and there was a lot of smoke around that signing. So, um, you know, I, I I think if you know we're we're trying to predict who is coming over, I I think that's probably who it's going to be, uh, just because the revolution seemed to have been on him all summer. And, uh, and I actually but, actually should take that back because he was starting at the beginning of the season, but now it seems like he's playing more of. A, he started the last game, but it seems like he's been more on and off the bench. So you know, maybe maybe there is something there, um, but yeah, that has you know, seem to completely die out any talk of that. Yeah. And, and I will add too that I, 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 if the revolution go into the 2019 season with the Patrick Mullins as their starting striker, I agree with you that that is a massive failure uh, on the revolutions part. I, I do think they need a, a big upgrade, which Patrick Mullins is not, but I'm just throwing that name out there as a potential fit for, you know, bench, whatever. I, 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 I still think I, I'm just bitter that we lost him in the expansion draft. I'm just very upset about that. <laughs> No, I, I mean that was that was a disappointing loss for as a you know someone that was up and coming and um, provided a lot of a lot of help for the revolution off the bench at striker, which is is hard for them to find lately. Um, but you know the, the the more I look at the the top goal scorers list um, in MLS, there's just so many names on there that you know have have been young guys that have come over like like Minotis you mentioned like Martinez, um, you know. To a lesser extent, guys like Piatti, who you maybe didn't hear as much of, that are such big players now. There's those, you know, there's the massive DP signs like Ibrahimovic, and then there's the guys like that 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 have become, you know, massive players, but you didn't necessarily know that much about. And I think those are the type of guys that you need the revs to find. And their scouting hasn't proven able to do that. Um, but my dream signing for the Revolution is is somebody like that. Um, that again, you you is not a you know, household name, but as someone that has done really well elsewhere and has, you know, kind of gotten unnoticed and, you know, if you pay enough money, it will come over here and excel in MLS. You know, actually, it's interesting you mentioned Piatti. I think I read an article this this week and this I'm, I'm going off of memory here. I don't have it pulled off, pulled up, but I think it said something like the impact are losing something like six to seven million dollars a year or something like that. Essentially that they're, they're taking a big uh, loss this this season. I wonder if Piatti's on the trade block. I, 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 I can't imagine that they would trade him to the revolution, uh, you know, in, in the conference. But, um, you know, he's at a salary of half a million dollars. Uh, I mean, if the, if the revs are willing to part with some assets, I, I think that'd be a huge fit for their system. It would be for you know for a year because he does turn thirty four next season. He's he's older than I I remembered him being, but um, he's obviously still performing very well with fourteen goals and thirteen yeah. assists and seventeen goals each of the last two seasons before that. So I would certainly take him, but 
Um, for a very young team, it wouldn't be a build to the future type move, whereas you know some other guys might be. And you know, like Bradley Wright Phillips is another guy. I think is thirty three now. Um, I think I I saw that uh, Nikolic might be his contract might be expiring at the end of the season, and he has had well, I mean, he still scored fifteen goals this year, but a bit of a down season from his first year. Um, so I don't know if he's a guy who at thirty could be maybe an option for the Revolution if they sent the right package to Chicago, who I assume wouldn't want to keep him in con- in conference either. But uh, just you know, spitballing here of, of guys that that maybe could be you know available for trade if, if enough money and enough allocation money was was offered up by the revs yeah i, I think you know to wrap this up it's uh, just running in circles i i think i imagine the person we're getting it's either going to be boyan or it's going to be kind of someone we don't know um who's kind of been undiscovered um probably from the north american or south american region i, I don't think we're getting a huge huge european signing that's going to be an immediate impact i, I think the revolution are going to try to bring in a um, kind of younger DP from uh, Central or South America or North America, uh, kind of from our <laughs> hemisphere. I, I think that's uh, just more likely the move that the Revolution are going to make. And I, and I think too the Houching and, and Machado signings. It seems like they're scouting South America uh, pretty thoroughly. So I, 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 I think that's probably the way they're going to go. All right. Well, one last piece of news to mention before we wrap things up. What What is your thoughts on the Revolution announcing? Uh, officially this Monday, they're having the conference for the groundbreaking for their new training facility, which now we hear is going to cost $35 million. So a in big investment from Crafts there. Is that big news? Um, I mean, maybe. I think really the, the news isn't really that they're opening a new training facility. I think it might say that they're being going to be in Foxborough for long term. I, I think that's kind of what I take out of it. Um, I mean, it's still possible that they build a soccer stadium in the greater Boston area and, and play there on weekends where they, while they train in Foxborough on weekdays. But um, I'm not really putting a lot of stock into this. Um, it is a big investment from the crafts, but um, I'm not, I don't think this really moves the needle for me in terms of big news on, on the revolution front. Yeah, and, and we should point out that they they have consistently made the point of saying that, well, if th- this training facility has nothing to do with building a stadium in Boston, even if we do that, we'll continue to train in Foxborough. That's always been the plan. Um, I think it's great to see Crafts investing this kind of money. But, you know, like like with everything, um, you look at you know what other teams are doing, and $35 million is a lot. And then Sporting Kansas City just opened their new training facility, which was $75 million. So, you know, great, great investment from the Crafts. But... You know, we're still seeing more money being spent in other areas on on the same things from other teams. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's great that they have this training facility for their youth academies and for all those guys to you know have the, the best facilities to, to train in. Um, but I'm not sure new training facilities will do that much to make the team more attractive to, you know, the guys in Europe that we were just talking about that may not be attracted to this team because they play in a, you know, half empty or you know, two thirds empty football stadium on turf. Um, I don't think that that this is going to have much of an impact on on bringing guys in that are concerned about that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sorry, right, it's I, I've got no other thoughts on the stadium. It's not really a, a needle mover for me. It's it meh meh. <laughs> I mean, I'll be interested to, to check it out and see what it looks like. And it is something that they they needed because their training situation wasn't ideal. But um, and and thirty five million dollars is a number that that pops out at you uh, until you see that Kansas City spent. 75 million dollars on theirs 
Um, but with that, let's just quickly talk about the the game on Thursday against Real Salt Lake, who's been one of the the best home teams in the league. I think they have ten home wins and just uh, two home losses this season, and it's a absolutely huge game for Salt Lake because they're one point ahead of the LA Galaxy um, with both teams with with two games to play. Um, so Salt Lake really can't afford to drop any points because the Galaxy, have, you know, since Ibrahimovic has been there and recently have, have started to turn things around. Uh, what do you expect to see in that game? Will we see wholesale changes from the Revs? And do they have any hope of getting even a draw out of this game against a Salt Lake team that um, I think has had a bye week this week, so they're well rested? Um, although I think believe they might be missing Beckerman and, and potentially somebody else from from uh, suspensions and uh, injuries, so they're not going to be 100 percent healthy. But an absolutely huge game for Salt Lake. What do you, what do you think we see? Yeah, I think we see some changes overall. I think maybe we see Brian Wright start over uh, Teal Bunbury, um, but I, I don't think we're. I think he's still going to field. Uh, Brett Riddle is going to field a mostly competitive lineup. I'll, I'll say um, you're right. It has um, some pretty heavy implications for uh, Real Salt Lake. So I, I think for that reason, I think the Revolution might, you know, not want to run out their, uh, you know, C team. I, I don't think they're going to want to, you know, put Cody Cropper in goal or anything like that. Um, but you know, maybe Matt Turner starts in goal. Uh, maybe Brian Wright starts uh, at striker. I, I think they're still going to try to be somewhat competitive in this game and not just roll over and, and uh, you know, kind of play whoever. Um, I, I do think we will see kind of the subs come off the bench a little bit earlier, though. I, I do think we see Anking start uh, coming off the bench a little bit sooner, maybe, as I say, 25 minutes. I said that earlier in the podcast. So um, overall, will it matter? Probably not. Real Salt Lake is 10-2-4 and four at home. They're a very strong team. They're going to be very motivated to uh, get all three points. Um, the Galaxy have been hot since getting Zlatan. So uh, I, I think this is a game that Real Salt Lake is uh, not only motivated to get three points, but they're probably circling that this is a game that they need to get three points from. Um, so I, I'm going to say uh, 3-1 Real Salt Lake. I do think we get on the board. Uh, but I, I think Real Salt Lake is uh, going to be the more motivated team in this game. Yeah, you can't understate how important this is for Salt Lake. Um, you look at their schedule, they're home against the Revolution on Thursday, and it's an absolute must win because after that they travel to Portland to finish the season. And we know how difficult of a place to play Portland is. Who has this? You know, they're also ten two and four at home. Um, and you know, I've been there. It's a fantastic atmosphere, a fun place to to watch a game, but not an easy place to play for for a road team. So uh, you look at this. This is an absolute must win for Salt Lake, or they're in serious trouble of missing the playoffs um, because Portland's going to be playing for for seeding certainly at least next week um, in that game, one way or the other. So um, you know, this is going to be a very difficult one for the Revolution to get anything out of. I think we'll see some changes. I actually wouldn't be surprised to see Brad Friedel do something with the back line that and and not have Kellen Rose start. I think he might go more defensive. And and with De La Maya back from suspension, put Andy Baba at left back and, and try something like that because um, you can't afford to get exposed the way that you know Kellen Rowe does in a, in a game where um, in, a, in a tough road game like this, especially at altitude like you are in Salt Lake. If, if guys are getting in behind him, it's going to be a very long day for them. So I, I might I could see them do that, um, but otherwise I agree. There's probably not going to be too many changes. I don't think Brad Friedel wants to get run out of the the park by throwing in too many young guys. I think Brian Wright could get a start in this one. Um, I certainly expect to see Ankin get more minutes, and and maybe we see Hache get another start just to to prove that you know whether or not he does have something to offer this team. But it's going to be a a very hard trek for the Revolution. But I, I seem to be losing my voice here as the show goes on. I I think I might be coming out with a cold, so let's wrap things up here. Greg, before we end, did you want to give out your uh, social media handles and the Revolution Recap social media handles? Uh, yeah, you can follow us at uh, G Johnstone Twelve and at Revolution Recap. Sean, are we doing uh, shoutouts this week? 
Oh, yeah. If you got one, go for it. Jeez. All right. Well, this is uh, – we're going to be dropping this Monday morning. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to David Price. We really needed him to come through Sunday. Boy, eight innings, shutout, one hit allowed, no walks, 12 strikeouts. What an amazing <laughs> job by David Price getting us back in this series. Amazing. And in case you can't tell from Sean's laughter, it is 645 right now, and we don't know the result. But I'm putting all my faith in David Price. Go Sox. Well, I, I hope you look like Nostradamus tomorrow. So <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, that's going to be great. He's going to go two thirds of an inning. That's, that's probably what's going to happen. But uh, make sure you can you follow us at Revolution Recap and you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Uh, I'll wrap things up before I completely lose my voice. Thanks again for listening, everybody.